Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hey everybody, this is a really interesting show that I'm doing. I'm doing a, a discussion with Joan Sotkin and Joan and I recently met through a group that we we're both members of. And one of the things that really drew me to Joan that was different is how she looks at energy, people's energy, and the relationship to money, to others around them, just the interconnection and the power of our own vibes that can be positive or can be negative. And those of us who are caregivers, there seems to be this this sense that sometimes when you start talking about the work that you're doing as a caregiver, taking care of a parent, sometimes more often than not, if somebody's not involved in that space or is actually just left and, and is no longer a caregiver, it's like you have this black cloud over you sometimes and the world doesn't want to talk to you. And yet we need that, we need that energy of, of good people and vibes around us. So without getting too woo-woo, or maybe we should get a little woo-woo. I like that, Joan. All right, whatever you, works for you. Yeah, why don't you share a little bit about some of the things that, that we've talked about in the past and that you do to help people understand the power of, of the personal energy that they emit um, and how it works for them. Well, let's think about when you walk into a room and how you feel when you walk into a room. When you walk into a bar, the energy is very different from when you walk into a church. Yep, very much so. I would hope so. I, I think those are two extremes. So to use that as an example, you're responding to the energy of the environment. And I believe everything is energy. Our bodies are combination of electromagnetic energy, which is what powers them. The medical field is all into data. You know, <laughs> what, what are your numbers? Just cut that. Max, here's a pill. Pop. <laughs> right. But I've been into metaphysics for a really long time. And I'm as interested in auras as I am in the data. And the field that I work with is emotions, which is all energy. Years ago, John Bradshaw said emotions, energy in motion. And that's what emotions are. And you can feel if you're talking to someone who's in an up mood that feels very different from talking to someone who's worried all the time. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> okay. my God. I, you know, I've been there, done that, including being the one who has the worried. Exactly. So the question for caregivers becomes, how can we get ourselves in a, an up place? I don't call it positive and negative. I call it comfortable and uncomfortable. Okay. And I don't see anything as good or bad. It's like when people talk about negative emotions, there are no negative emotions. There are only emotions. Okay. And how we respond to them. And one of the things I've had to train myself so that I can be with people, because I'm definitely an empath, I can choose to de decide when I want to tune into their emotions. But I've taught myself what I call empathetic detachment, which is I really care about you and how you feel. 
but I'm not responsible for how you feel. Ah, I don't need to be sucked into that. Exactly. In other words, we tend to think when a person is sick and suffering that that's bad. Correct. It's merely part of their journey. Oh, that's a fabulous way of thinking about it, because especially when you're dealing with an end of life situation, you can't resolve that. Absolutely. But it's, it, it's, I mean, we would love to be able to help. Why? Them, right? Why? Because people who say they want to live forever. Why? <laughs> yeah. What do you want to look like when you're 250 years old? <laughs> I want to look like I was 25 when I was 225 years old. But that's what's going to happen. We live in this physical world and it goes through cycles. And when you are trying, my mother died in my house. Um, she had been in California and it was clear she didn't have much time. My brother managed it so we could fly her out here in a Learjet with the medical thing and everything. And she was in my house. We put her in a home and it was awful. So we brought, I got a bed and we put her in my house. And so I got to watch her and she was in this position of saying, get me off anything that's keeping me alive. Right. And which not many people have that attitude. <laughs> and my so mom I was, was like her. that. Yeah. I was literally with her when she took her last breath. And you have to face the fact that they're going to go. I mean, right. it's a matter of how where you have to put yourself in a place so that whatever's going on, you can accept and deal with from a place of acceptance rather than from a place of trying to fix it. You can't. You can't. You can't, you can't fix it. You, you, you can't fix you can't end of life. My brother's wife just was put into a facility. She has Alzheimer's. And I've watched him go through the process of her devolving. They've been married for 52 years. And to watch someone disappear, even though they're standing there, I've seen him adjust to it. He calls me once a week and I let him talk as much as he has to. And that's important for him is to have someone to talk to. But he can afford lots of help and not everybody can. And so it got to the point where he just couldn't have her in the house anymore. And that's just, that is the most difficult decision. But he was a person who ran a very successful business of his own. So he was, had the kind of personality that knew how to detach. And take charge. Exactly. And some people are just better at that than others. I had to teach myself how to detach. And what I would do is watch the news because yeah. that'll stimulate emotions anytime, right? And to be able to watch the drama mm -hmm. without having to allow that drama in, but to have empathy for people who are suffering. When I see people on bread lines, that really gets to me. And when I see people are being abused or hurt, it gets to me, but I'm able to almost control the level at which I allow it to get to me. So let me ask you this. Yeah. I, I understand the empathetic detachment. I did the same thing very much so with my dad. I was always present. And yet in those final moments, I would say the fear of sometimes being there hoping that it wouldn't happen, yet also the fear of not being there for him. 
was that push me, pull you energy vibe or whatever you want to call it that was there. And the tension in my body, I could actually feel that clamping almost in your inner gut. And I would imagine that everybody else around me felt it too. Right. But you're verbalizing it better than most people can. Okay. In other words, when I'm teaching people about their money and their relationship with money, I'll say, how do you feel when you're looking at your bank balance? And most people do not have a feeling vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to them, do you feel contracted or expanded? And most people will say, I feel contracted. And what's going through your mind? And whatever doesn't matter how much money you have. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with money. Feelings about money have nothing to do with money. It's all about the feelings that you're bringing to the money. So when you were dealing with the end of life, the very end, you were dealing with your fear of abandonment, your sense of being left alone, the uncertainty of not knowing what what that would look like without that person there, a sense of a hole, an empty hole opening and not knowing what would fit in there. Can, can you- Or even in some cases now, and I'll use myself as an example, as my father passed, it was, oh my God, now I'm the, uh, I'm the one in charge. Now I was always in charge because I was the, the POA and trustee, but it was now the physical body had left the room And this sense of weight that had come on my shoulders is now I'm the matriarch. I'm the parent. I'm the parent. And I I can't. And I wouldn't even say the parent. It was like, I'm the family. Yes. I'm the family rock now. Yes. Even though I always was because of my parents needed my help. But it was really interesting to feel that that physical weight come down on me. And as I said, you apparently are better at verbalizing that than most Mm -hmm. people who just know they feel uncomfortable. They're also feeling sad because mommy or daddy's leaving or whoever the person is. And without that person, you're stepping into the unknown. In other words, you were responding to the unknown responsibility that you were going to have. Right. And the weight was, how am I going to figure out who I am now and my position in life? And there was no way at that moment that you could verbalize all of that. You just were very aware of this physical experience. Most people don't realize that you don't feel emotions in your head. You feel them in your body. Very much so, yeah. You feel something in your gut. And, And there's a reason for that. It's because you have these receptors in your cells that are designed to latch on to these biological neuropeptides that attach themselves to those receptors. And that's what causes the emotion. Ah, fabulous. So we've just talked a little bit about the end of life and that transition. But when you're in the beginning of this whole process and starting to identify that there's something wrong with your husband or, or a spouse or a wife or a partner or a parent, that's also the beginning stages of, of not knowing, I, you know, the squishy area, there's, there's white and gray and, and there's no black and white and just sort of stepping on the ground and hoping there's something there, even though you're not sure is a new area again, but it's different, right? Yeah, well, of course you're stepping into the unknown and your brain is wired. There's a thing called the amygdala that's in the center of your brain and its job 
is to warn you when you're not safe. And the thing that the amygdala responds to most is uncertainty. Interesting. So that's why people who don't like their jobs are afraid to leave and go into business for themselves because the result is uncertain. So there's this fear that comes up and they don't take the step. Lack of security. Yeah. Yes. Anytime you think you're secure, it's just an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I will remind myself of that more often than not now. <laughs> you know, it's like people say, if only I had, I had another million dollars, I could feel safe. No, safe is a feeling, not a situation. Yeah. And as we move into climate change, it's going to be harder and harder for people to feel safe. Yep. And the safe is something that that's a feeling. It comes from inside of you. It's not something that something external gives you. And once you realize that whatever you're feeling is being generated by your response to the situation. I love that because it puts you, the individual, whether you're a caregiver or not, or on the periphery of, of this space, in control of how you react. You're aware of it. You can actually control the response that you have. Is that correct? Yes. And your response will affect the outcome of your action. I love it. And obviously everybody else around you too, and how they respond to you as well. Because they're responding to your energy. <laughs> there we are back again. <laughs> Give me more control, right? If I'm a, a really nervous person, can anyone feel calm in my presence? No, and we've all been around people like, in fact, I was around somebody like that the other day. I'm like, get me out of this room. I can't be here anymore. It's a horrible okay. feeling. Okay. I know someone lo local who I've seen in person and she's been in one of my groups and she's not willing to give up nervous because she gets so much attention uh -huh. from her position. It's how she gets the response from people around her that she's used to. That also becomes a drain on other people too, in many cases. Right. But most people start by caring about themselves. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. In order to care for the people around you, you have to give up some of your self caring only about right. you. That's what makes for a good conversation. When I cannot care about your response to me, then we can have a better conversation because I'm listening to you. Ah, I never heard it that was put that way, but I love it. In other words, if I'm thinking about myself while you're talking, there's no way we can have a true connection. It's the connection that we're all seeking. I used to be a compulsive talker and I mean, I don't know how anyone stood me for more than five minutes. <laughs> and one day I heard myself and that was the end of it. But it was my way of connecting to people. Or you thought, right? It was for you to connect, but not for them to necessarily connect. I had no idea the effect that I was having on other people. And, you know, I was entertaining, but still... I, I was so afraid of not connecting that I made it so we didn't connect. You know, this is this is a great, a great conversation. And it brings to mind when you talk about connection, where we're caring for somebody, we're the person in the middle. They can't speak for themselves for some reason or another. And the person you need to connect with is a medical professional. Oh, that's a whole nother. Yeah, story. maybe we need to do a whole series on that. <laughs> But being able to stop 
and have, I don't want to say force, but I'm going to say force, force the medical professional to stop and also care enough to hear what you have to say is that's tough because of the environment that we're all in. So is there a way that we can do that? Well, I'm going to be interviewing someone who uh, wrote a book about bringing compassion to medical people. I've had to deal with medical people a lot. And I've had to learn how to deal with doctors. One of the ways I do that is by learning a lot. So I have wise questions and I try to see them as afraid of me as a patient because they're feeling that weight of responsibility that you described. Or they've so disconnected so that there is no connection between the patient to preserve their own self. Yes. They don't know how to have empathetic detachment. Interesting. Where I can care about you, but understand that it's your story and I'm just here to guide you. Versus owning owning the outcome. Right. That I'm the one with all the answers. What the medical profession hasn't learned is to teach people how to find their own inner answers. So is there a way that we can help those professionals around us to better connect so that we can get what we need from them in this this empathetic or caring connection or the energy that we need from them in order to make the right decisions for those that we love? I understand. And it's a difficult question. I tend to function in the alternative system because of what... Uh, the difficulties I find in the, in the allopathic sure. system, I have found that nurse practitioners. Oh, they're the best. I, I love them. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love them. And I just went to one that is a specialist in neurology and it was a very different experience had I gone to a neurologist right. because people who become doctors just are different from people who become nurse practitioners. And And yet every once in a while, I get a doctor who cares and doesn't take it personally. What's happening to me? I have a genetic condition called Ehlers-Danlos and doctors hear about it in medical school. And it's only in the last five years that anyone learned about it. And every once in a while, a doctor will say to me, I did some research on Ehlers-Danlos and I can talk to you very differently now. Oh, gee, thanks, doc. (laughs) How long did that take you? And so we work together to find a solution. What's wrong with the system is that the doctors take this expert thing. They think that people have no intuition and that you as the daughter can't figure out what's going on with daddy when you've lived with him all your life. So we're in a very interesting point in, in human development where everything is changing. And everybody hates change. <laughs> so it's that one thing that we don't know that makes us fearful, right? Right. And so if you can train yourself to like change, I love change. I've come to love it. So like in the morning when I take a shower in my showers that has the doors on it, the, the sh- well, I have to squeegee them because they get all cloudy. And so I make a point of doing it many different ways, not the same way every day. Come work on my shower. <laughs> Takes two seconds, but I'll start here, then go there. And what can I do today that's different from how I've done it before? Right. And each way, each time you do it differently, you learn something new. And you feel you differently. 
when you make changes, you get what I call the moving stupids. You reason. <laughs> yeah. We talked about the moving stupids. Why don't you share what the moving stupids are all about for people? Because okay. I love this. When you move from one house to another, which you. Oh, yeah. Did, I'm still in the moving stupid. You get really stupid. You don't know where anything is. You have to make dozens of decisions that you've never made before. You lose your wallet. You lose your keys and you feel disoriented. That's what happens. Now, when people change their emotional responses, they get the moving stupids. And so what happens when you get the moving stupids, which are uncomfortable, you go back to what you were doing before. As they say, old habits die hard. I just like to know how long the moving stupids last. About three months. Okay. All right. After three months, you're unpacked. You know where everything is and you know the new route from where you are to where you're going. And it's just a matter of building new neural pathways in your brain. So the same thing happens when somebody has left your life, right? Oh, th and that's a big one. I remember when my grandmother died. And we didn't live near each other, but she was my grandmother for my entire life. At that point, I was in my 30s, I think. And I just sensed, and there's the energy, that there was this big hole. Yep. It was like this empty space that I had never experienced before. It was that empty space that felt uncomfortable. And nothing to compare it to because you hadn't been there before, right? I had never been aware right. of it. My grandfather, I think, died before my grandmother. But it was just this space that I hadn't experienced that particular space before. When someone dies, we have the grief, which is a very normal thing. But the grief is not just about the person who left. It's about our feeling alone and empty and and confused. We go into this child state of not knowing what to do. And because of our culture, we've never taught people how to deal with intense emotions. You know, that's fascinating. And I'll, I'll use myself as this guinea pig as you're talking about that, because we discussed my mom passed away in December and literally because of COVID and other things, we couldn't put her ashes to rest until just last week. Now, that sense of, for me, it was a sense of guilt. I felt a very deep, heavy weight on my heart, a sense of guilt for not being able to put her ashes to rest. And she's at the, she was at the funeral home and every now and then they call, you got to pick up your mom. And I'm like, well, I'm 1200 miles away. I'm, I'm coming down. And can you talk to her every now and then? <laughs> Just, and the woman's like, what? But now that her ashes are to rest, this is the point where I'm now starting to feel that emptiness. So it's, it's, it's the point of cutoff. Okay. It's that it, now I've got the, the moving stupids for the next three months in, in that loss, not the correct terminology because right. we're not moving, but I, we moved, we put mom to rest. And now I've got that on top of everything else, which is I'm feeling very disoriented. Well, you've got the moving yeah. stupids. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that somebody's just fine because I felt I, the other day, I just sent a note to a friend who said, like, want to talk to you. I put it down on my calendar. And I'm, and I'm lost and I forgot about it. So I have to give myself a little space and everybody else has to understand. <laughs> okay. So that overwhelming guilt that you felt, yeah. okay. You had a couple of choices with okay. that. You could get logical and say, what am I feeling guilty about? And what have I felt guilty about in the past? I didn't um, get logical. Do I feel, 
<laughs> okay, right. But the guilt was covering up the loss. Yes. In other words, it was easier to feel the guilt than the loss, than to feel the emptiness. Interesting. That became your preferred emotion. Yet I felt her presence, my heart and my memories and my stories and everything else. Right. You were holding on to her with what you knew best, which was guilt. And now I can let it go. Now you're going to have to deal with a whole new set of emotions. Yeah. Wow. I deal with people who have had difficult relationships with their mother or father. I had a great relationship with my mom. I mean, always did. Right. And I did too. But for people who have difficult relationships, when you're caretaking someone yes. who was mean to you and abused you, and I had that with my father, he was sometimes wonderful. And, you know, he was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Sure. Hyde. And I realized after they were gone that I could make them whatever I wanted to. They were in another space and they weren't in their personalities. Mm. And I could make mommy and daddy whatever I wanted them to be. And I could have conversations with them and do whatever, you know, do it the way I wanted to. And I could turn my father into this very sympathetic, giving human being who cared about what was happening. And to he me. probably did at some point. Maybe he just didn't know how oh, to he loved he didn't know how to express it, right? He he loved me, but he had he had a terrible father and he never learned how to be a caring father. The emotion, it wasn't physical abuse, it was emotional right. abuse any, because he had no idea how to work with a girl child. His relationship with my brothers was very different. And I mean, he called me Jonathan for the first time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> which is what he needed to do. It, you know, it took me a long time to get over it. But so many people have had difficult parents yeah. and they were difficult for us, not necessarily difficult for everybody else. So after they go, we can turn them into anything we want. I love it. It's a, it's a great way of healing yourself on many different levels. So, yes. And, and you can, you can have these conversations with them where you tell them exactly what you're feeling and what your, what your confusions are. So one of the things I wanted to do is, speaking of feelings and confusion, is to, is to talk a, a little bit about this, this energy exercise that you did with me, where it's a bit of a, a jump right now shift. shift yes a big it's a big shift because we're now we're going into another we're dimension. going into like right this is a twilight zone but it's a podcast so we can do whatever we want <laughs> so can i assume that the people who listen to your podcast are dealing with the issues that come up when you're a caretaker. I hope so, because it's called elder care, doing it best with elder care success. So, right. So I'm going to make that. I know that assumptions can be dangerous, yes. but you know, cause I'd rather focus it a bit yes. to help people let go of the guilt the fear, the heaviness, the weight sometimes of being a caregiver. Yes, it's a it's a heavy thing. I know watching my brother, even though he could afford all the help he needed, right. and he got towards the end before he had to put her in a facility, he had almost full time help. Right. And it was really difficult for him when that help wasn't there. And the two of us used to say we couldn't imagine how people can't who can't afford it. I agree. Can can do this. It's a burden. And you don't know if you're doing it right. And he went to therapy and not everybody can afford therapy. And, you know, it's we're we're putting people in these really difficult situations. I know when my mother was in that home for two days, I never could have kept her there because 
it just was cruel. Right. And a lot of nursing facilities are cruel. <laughs> I mean, it's our, our system is not set up to compassionately care for the elders. And all of us, I mean, I'm 80. So I think about the end more than than people who are in their 60s. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I and I keep myself as healthy as possible because I don't want those last five years to be what it is for a lot of and people. And a six-year-old can get there faster than you too sometimes, right? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right, they can. I take care of myself. And that's a whole nother story. Another show. <laughs> so I'm going to assume if we do yes. this, that people are dealing with this heavy sense of responsibility and confusion yep. as to what they're supposed to be doing and their fear about what's coming next. I would, I would say that's fair and safe to say, and it doesn't happen all the time, right? Sometimes it's stronger and sometimes it's not. Oh, it comes and goes. It's like with grief. It can last for years and you don't even know it's there. So this involves court. Well, in this case, well, you don't have to have a crystal. No, I mean, quartz crystal. So I have two. Two, one in each hands. <laughs> we were having a little private. Deal, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> okay. And so let me explain why I, why I like crystals. I had a crystal business in the 1980s. I was the first person to... Uh, teach people how to use crystals and minerals for healing and meditation. And I had a line of stones called Jones Stones that were in 600 stores. So I'm, I'm into the minerals. And now when people do this in today's world, they give the crystals all these powers. This one will help you. Do we this. have the power of the person. It's, the, it's our power. And quartz has the ability to transmit and amplify electromagnetic energy. Your body mind is, and your aura is electromagnetic energy. So the, that's why crystal radio sets are used. Ah, because that's why quartz, quartz is, at the, is at the basis of these radio sets. So when you hold a crystal, which also emits an electrical charge when you press it, very tiny little, but it's there. And it helps you tune in to the deeper parts of yourself. It's like an antenna into the deeper parts of yourself. Okay. So even to this day, when I meditate, I hold a quartz crystal, but it's not necessary, but it, it if you want to get into this, yes, I don't sell crystals anymore. And I, I'm more interested in teaching people how to empower themselves and to believe that they really can accomplish what they want if they learn how to do it. So let's talk about the process of taking control of our of our emotions and ourselves and our own energy with your particular, in a very short sort of period, I know we're sort of condensing this, in a quick session like we tried the other day. Okay. It's not about taking control of your emotions. Okay. It's a matter of being willing to feel your emotions. Ah, my misunderstanding then. And let me give you a reason why. Emotions by their nature need to be expressed. And if you don't express them, the energy of those emotions gets stuck in your body. They're connected to those receptors but they have to be expressed. So you'll break a bone, you'll fall down, you'll get sick. That's why old people 
have so many physical maladies because they're holding on to all those emotions that have never been expressed. My back has gotten sore over the years when I've like hold the tension in my back and things like that, right? Your shoulders. And that tension is emotion, okay? And one of the reasons I can be 80 with all this energy and to keep on going is because I focus on figuring out what I'm feeling and letting my feelings express themselves. Okay. So what we're going to do now is I don't plan this in advance. It's not like I sit down and go, well, today we're going to do this and that. I just kind of go into an altered state and go, you know, I have an idea what we're doing because I have an idea what the feelings are out there. And during this, I'm going to say some phrases like I release this or I release that. When I say those phrases, just repeat them silently to yourself because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. And I'm also going to make some sound. This is the thing that's tough for me to do with strangers. (laughs) Well, it's just me. Pretend nobody's listening. We're fine. Well, I I will do that. I have done this um, during Zoom calls with other people. And the sounds that I'm making are the sounds that I'm feeling from other people. Okay. And when you make the sound of a feeling, it helps to release it. It expresses the feeling. This is a technique I teach people when they're trying to help them release emotions is if you make the sound of the feeling, no matter how ugly the sound is, you're releasing that energy from your system. Okay? Got it. All right. So I'm going to ask people, I hope when you're listening to this, you're not driving so that you'll pull over (laughs) or you'll listen to it later when you can close your eyes and go into a relaxed state. So let's start by having you sit quietly in your chair with your hands folded gently in your lap and take a deep breath in and out. And one more in and out. And try to imagine that there's a beam of rainbow light coming into the center of your forehead. You don't actually have to see anything. Just try to imagine the presence of a light. Imagine that a light travels down the center of your body and diffuses into all of your cells. And just say to yourself silently a few times, I am in the light. I am filled with the light. I am in the light. I am filled with the light. And I'm going to make a sound. When I make these sounds, some will be pleasant, some will be unpleasant. This one is just going to be a sound. Now try to imagine that I'm putting my hand over the center of your chest, your heart center. And take a deep breath in and out. I release all pain and memory of pain. I release all fear and sorrow. And I'm going to make a sound.
I release my need to carry the weight of the situation I'm in. I give myself permission to release any grief I may be feeling or any guilt I may be feeling. I'm willing to embrace the grief as my way of holding on to the person I'm going to miss. I release whatever guilt I feel about not wanting to be in this situation. I'm willing to ask for help when I need it. I don't have to carry this burden alone. Now I'd like you to imagine a time with the person you're caring for that was peaceful and pleasant in a lovely setting, even if you have to make it up. And just imagine that you're sitting with that person and they're in their light bodies, so to speak. They're angelic, they're peaceful. They know that they're moving to a new state of being. And even though they're uncomfortable and wishing they weren't there, there's a part of them that knows that they're going to a place of peace. See if you can connect to that part of them. I am willing to embrace that person with love and caring and peace. I'm now going to clean out your energy field. And I'm now going to fluff up your aura. Imagine that your aura is being fluffed. And gradually bring your consciousness back to your body. Become totally aware of your body, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your arms, your legs, your torso. And when you feel yourself totally centered in your body, then gently open your eyes. I love the words, everything that you said, Joan. Thank you. There's something that's, it brings a sense of calm and gentleness, I will say. It's not peace, it's gentleness is the term I would use. I hope that everybody who's listening has the same feeling that I got from this and you. It was a short one. And uh, it's interesting when I'm doing a group, which right. is what I was just doing, even though you're, I can see you and it's tuning into the group emotions. Mm. And I haven't done that in a long time. And so I was kind of interested to see what came out. I, uh, I respect you, and I so appreciate your willingness to share this, which is a very intimate 
type of thing in a in such a public space so so thank you well you know we each get a job (laughs) (laughs) in order to do this i had to go through my own healing on many different levels i didn't realize it was going to take till i was 80 to feel like i was going to the next level of my journey (laughs) and i'm hoping in the time that i have left that I can help people find that peace within. It's so important for for us at, at any age of life and process, but even more, I think, for those of us who are caring for somebody who is going through a very intense time in their life, as they right. especially come to the end, because um, if we can help transfer our own sense of feeling to create more calm and peace for those who might be fearful, then my personal opinion is that it does well for them and it does well for us too. Right. So remember, I seem to remember when we were doing this, that I had you go to a peaceful place with that person. Yeah. Use that as a daily exercise so that you can train yourself to be in that place of peace when you're with that person. Mm Mm-hmm. No matter what they're going through, they may be in pain, they may be scared, their unknown is much bigger than yours, <laughs> For whatever sure. your yeah. unknown is. Okay? But they'll be able to feel your sense of calm yes. with them, so, which is yes. so critical. And if you want to hold their hand or put your hand over their heart, when you do that with them, it's going to make a difference. Especially, I would imagine, which is even more difficult, somebody who has Alzheimer's and is no longer able to verbalize anything. Right. So my mom did not have Alzheimer's. She had dementia. And Mm. as you said those words, I remember sitting and coming down to visit my mom after dad had passed and being with her and just sitting on a little stool cushion next to her lifty chair where she was sort of flaked out and just quietly holding her hand. We didn't have to say anything. And it was one of the most enjoyable moments that I've had with with my mom in her last days before she became totally incapacitated. And I believe that she felt the same way too. It was just quiet mom and daughter sitting there, just gently touching one another. And that was it. Even if she had no words, that's the energy. Yeah, we didn't have to say anything. You managed to get yourself into a place of peace. Yes. And it's like babies learn from the feelings of the people around them. Right. And when someone has dementia or Alzheimer's, they're in that same state. They feel the energy of it probably more so because it's even more heightened as later time in life. Right. Right. And if you can keep yourself in that place of imagining peace and light and they'll feel that, which is preparing them for the transition. On that note, Joan, I'm going to end our discussion here, but I really just want to say thank you so much for for sharing, for your willingness to be here with us today on the show. And I look forward to hopefully another time when we can do something like this in a different way down the road. Okay, and this was delightful. Thank you again. 
This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2021 Caremanity LLC.